baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. The Crisis Next Door, a weekly report on the biggest conflicts around the world with host Jason Brooks. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. The caucuses continue to simmer nearly three decades after the breakup of the Soviet Union. Wedged between the Black and Caspian Seas, a crossroads between Europe and Asia, borders continue to fluctuate in a region that has served as a flashpoint to bigger conflicts in the past. Today, a controversial land swap between Chechnya and Ingushetia has threatened to rip open another fault line. Joining the crisis next door from Tbilisi, Georgia, to talk about the situation is Neil Hauer, an independent security analyst focusing on Russia and the Caucasus. Neil, thank you very much for joining us here on the crisis next door. Thanks for having me. Neil, let's set the stage here. Why the proposed land swap between Chechnya and Ingushetia? Well, this is sort of an interesting question. and No one expected this. This was not a region that had really been uh, debated before, but this suddenly emerged on, uh, September, on September 26th. The news came out that the, the head of Ingushetia, Yunus Bekiev Kurov, had signed a deal with uh, the head of the neighboring republic, Chechnya, and its leader, Ramzan Kadyrov, to exchange what was initially reported as a, a mutually a, a mutual swap of territory that would be uh, equal meter for meter, but it soon emerged that this was actually uh, amounted to Chechnya taking about and an, effectively annexing about ten percent of Gushetia's territory. And the exact reasons for this are not uh, still not hundred percent clear, but the the best explanation that's out there is Chechnya's leader Ramzan Kadyrov is a man who has more power than any other provincial leader inside Russia, and this is him expanding his regional influence. Well, let's get to Kadyrov, uh, a very interesting character. And as you mentioned, he has a, a clout in the Caucasus that no other regional leader has. Why is that? Tell us about Kadyrov. Yeah, so Kadyrov is sort of, he's really an anomaly in terms of Russian politics. So Russian governors, the the, the majority of them are appointed by the Kremlin. In other areas, they have um, elections, but uh, the, the heads are, the heads don't have a, a lot of real power in, in, a, in, in any real sense. Uh, but in Chechnya, it's a different arrangement, of course. Chechnya broke away from the Soviet, broke away from the Russian Federation following the, the, the breakup of the Soviet Union. And then following the pair of wars in the 90s, the first one, which uh, occurred from 1994 to 1996, that Russia actually lost and had to make a deal with Chechnya, the independent Chechnya. And then following the reconquest of Chechnya in 2000, when at the start of Vladimir Putin's first term as president, there was a deal made in which uh, one major faction of the, essentially the Chechen rebels switched sides to the, the Russian government and was given power there in exchange for their loyalty. And that faction of rebels was headed by the Grand Mufti of independent Chechnya, um, a man named Akhmat Kadyrov. And Akhmat Kadyrov is the father of Ramzan Kadyrov. And he was brought in to rule the republic, which he did until 2004 when he was killed in an explosion. And following that, Ramzan was put in power. And Ramzan was essentially given this deal where he was given huge amounts of money to rebuild the republic and to, to crush his opponent. And he was essentially allowed a free hand to do whatever he want, wanted so long as there was no war in Chechnya. And there, there, there was an insurgency in Chechnya for a long time following the war, and this spread across the, the region. 
But that was slowly ground down and uh, eventually diminished. And today, the, the insurgency is an, an organization. It doesn't, there's no real organizations that exist promoting the insurgency. And since this has happened, this has given Ramzan a free hand to promote himself more actively in the region, essentially without much, uh, without much oversight by the Kremlin. And so he's continually pushed the, the limits of what he's able to do. And this is the latest step in that. What's Kadyrov's relationship with Putin? Do they have much of a personal relationship? It, it, it is an extremely personal relationship. And actually, Ramzan Kadyrov, he, one of his favorite slogans is, I am a foot soldier of Putin. And he constantly professes his loyalty to Putin and his love for him. And in fact, Grozny, the, the capital of Chechnya, is the only city in Russia which has a, a Putin Avenue. And that's the straight downtown and so there's there's a, this constant refrain that's being used to where he's professing his loyalty that Chechnya this is part of his whole ideology his whole narrative that Chechnya is an, in, an inseparable part of the Russian Federation but remains a, a distinctly Chechen and essentially it remains a, it, it's evolved in sort of this quasi state within a state where there's the Russian Russian law federal law doesn't exactly apply there and there's 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 things that, that that happen there that such as polygamy that are, are expressly forbidden under the Russian Constitution, but Ramzan's relationship with with Putin, at least publicly, he 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 makes a real point of stressing that that's very strong. What are Putin's goals for the North Caucasus in particular? Uh, Moscow has dealt with Islamic insurgencies in the region. Does Putin want to see this area ruled by a strong local leader or, or does he want to see chaos prevail much like he's seen in the other border areas such as Ukraine? I mean, the Kremlin's only real priority as far as it comes to the North Caucasus is security. It, it's the only way it really views the regions through a security framework. And so as long as so long as there's not uh, massive, so long as there's not massive insurgent attacks and uh, burgeoning, uh, burgeoning armed underground guerrilla conflict going on across the region, then then the the Kremlin doesn't care. So this remains the North Caucasus remains one of the most underdeveloped regions of Russia, the largely the poorest, and the, there's been there's been very little focus or attention paid by the the Kremlin to economic development there. And a lot of the most of the republics there do remain reliant on the on Moscow and the the federal budget for transfers there. And so this is this is the case with Chechnya as well. Chechnya is one of the least productive economic subjects of Russia. And about 85% of the Republican budget is just directly subsidies from the, the federal center. And these have been invested in big prestige projects like massive skyscrapers and uh, mosques and other, other sparkling new Dubai-esque buildings. And so Moscow's only, only goal for it really was to bring it to this point seemingly that it, 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 that it achieved a couple of years ago in the run-up to the Sochi Olympics when the security operations really intensified and just – Crush all the forces there. Crush all the the, the real or, uh, insurgent organizations, and this has occurred right now. But the, none of the underlying causes have been have, have been resolved, and instead they they've emboldened local actors like Kadyrov, who are just going to cause bigger problems. And so we're we're in this this period of calm right now, which all the underlying factors say is not likely to last. Uh, let, let's say for another five ten years. How is Kadyrov viewed by Chechens? Uh, do they look up to their leader or do they mostly fear their leader? I mean, of course, there's this, it, it, this is a very difficult question to, to get really hard data on because Chechnya is an extremely uh, repressive dictatorship, really. It's uh, the, the people there, as, as one, of my, one of my friends from a neighboring republic said, from Ingushetia, 
as he said, at least in English Sharia, you know, we have our fair share of problems here, but we can discuss the leadership and we can make jokes about them on the street and whatever. And in Chechnya, they don't dare say anything against Ramzan, even at the dinner table, because one one word and then someone reports on you, you don't, never know who it can be, then you're, at best case scenario, you're brought in front of him to apologize on national on um, Chechen state TV, and worst case scenario, you just sort of disappear. And so in Chechnya, obviously, there's a big cult of personality around Ramzan and all these lo- these um, professions of loyalty to him and devotion to the leader. And but it, just under the surface, I mean, the, the the I would say the mood in Chechnya and among Chechens towards Kadyrov is uh, there's a lot of resentment there. And this this manifests itself. I mean, Chechnya remains today as the source, the largest source of refugees emanating from within geographic Europe. So there's a hundred Chechens every day that try and cross the border from Belarus into Poland to gain uh, EU asylum. And this is still going on. This is what's going on right now in 2018 when there's no active conflict there. And so the, the, the stability of Kadyrov's rule is entirely based upon the fact that he controls all the resources and he has enough uh, funding from the Kremlin right now to, to continue to pay people off and then to continue to pay for his prestige projects. But the, this, is, this is the, the entirety of it. He has very little, all, all the, the, the important positions of the Republic are essentially occupied by um, members of his family and his clan and one or two other clans, of which there's probably 300 clans in, in Chechnya. There's only two or three which Ranjan can actually trust. So his actual support base is very narrow. You're listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks, and we're talking about a controversial land swap between Chechnya and Ingoshetia. And we're joined live from Tbilisi, Georgia, by independent security analyst Neil Hauer, who focuses on Russia and the Caucasus. Neil, let's get back to that land swap. Ingushetians have bitterly protested this land swap. Uh, What is their beef with it? In Gushetia, there's essentially two main reasons why this has been such a, a controversial and emotional issue. And if you look at the map and you see, see this area, I mean, it is an, an, an unpopulated area. So the, 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 there, there were formerly settlements there, but um, in different forms, of, in different waves of depopulation, but first by the Russian Empire and then under the Soviet Union, under Joseph Stalin, the, this, this land was depopulated eventually permanently. And the two reasons why this has been so emotional are firstly that the agreement was signed secretly between the, the leaders of Ingushetia and Chechnya, the, the heads of both republics. It was signed secretly with no prior consultation with people, and then it just emerged into the public. And the people were very people always stressed this theme there. And then the the the, the, the main reason why it's such a, a hard pill for them to swallow is because this is the second time in the essentially the past 25 years when Ingushetia has lost a significant chunk of its land. And the first time it happened was uh, in 1992. And so in 1992, a section of Western Chechnya, about 20% of the territory of the Republic, the region known as Prigorodny region, was this was, uh, it was confirmed to be part of the Chet- of Ingushetia's neighbor to the west, North Ossetia. And so this region was populated mostly by ethnic Ingush. And when the Ingush were all deported to Central Asia by Stalin in 1944 during the Second World War, then the, the Republic was abolished. But when, it, when they were allowed to return in 1957, it was reconstituted, but missing this area, Prigorodny. And so this area, the Ingush always wanted it back, and they resettled there and everything. And when the Soviet Union broke up and the, the Ingushetia decided not to break away like Chechnya, decided to stay within the Russian Federation, 
they had hoped to, to get this area handed back to them by the Russian government, and the Russian government refused. And so what ended up happening was full-scale armed, armed conflict broke out between English militias on one side and North Ossetian militias on the other. And there was a, a week of full-scale clashes with a couple hundred dead on each side, about 50,000 Ingush displaced. And this was only in 1992, and this is still something that they talk about every week in Ingushetti. It's still a very uh, open-sore, very emotional issue for them. And so the fact that this was happening again, this, this was, became a real theme of the, the protests and it was on a lot of the slogans that we, we we won't be betrayed again. We won't let our republic be carved up again. Is that the fear that this is seen as a case of appeasement by the Ingush government, by the population in Ingushetia? Yeah, this is this is the a lot a big part of the case. Yeah, that people feel that this will, people fear that this will be a step towards the ultimate abolishment of Ingushetia and rejoining it to Chechnya, as was the case in the Soviet period. So in the Soviet period, they were actually one republic joined together, the, the uh, Checheno-Ingush Autonomous Soviet Socialist Republic. And so in this in this scenario, I, th this is something that I think was acceptable to people in the past, but over the past 25 years, I mean, the Ingush and the, the Chechens, who are very closely related people, very similar culture, um, history, the language, uh, the two languages are almost mutually intelligible, and they call themselves Vainach, meaning in their language means our people. They, they consider themselves two branches of one of one nation, essentially. But the, the political development between the two republics uh, over the last 25 years has been such that the English don't want any part of living under Ramzan Kadyrov, especially living under his conditions in Chechnya. And they fear that this if this goes down, this will be one more step towards that, towards Kadyrov, increasingly in, uh, acting as a, an arbiter in English affairs and then there's rumors that eventually that he wants that they want to uh, abolish the Republic of Ingushetia entirely and just subsume it in Chechnya. Uh, that leads into my next question. I was going to ask: Does Kadyrov have expansionist aims for Chechnya, and and to within what realm would he be allowed to do that by the Kremlin? This is another really unprecedented question, the, the, an, an issue that we haven't seen to date before. I mean, this is the uh, as far as I could think, and I. I can't imagine why it would be why it would happen elsewhere. This is the only instance of redrawing regional boundaries, regional borders within the Russian Federation after the fall of the Soviet Union. And one of the reasons that this never happened is because once you do this one place, there's so many land disputes just waiting to happen uh, that that so you open this really Pandora's box and you set the precedent of what what's going to happen now. And so this this issue actually has gone now to the Russian Constitutional Court, this uh, this land swap uh, agreement, because the Constitutional Court in Ingushetia, the Republican Constitutional Court, ruled that this was illegal, that this this violated the Constitution of Ingushetia, uh, unless a referendum was held on the issue in Ingushetia. And so then it was it's just been referred to the Russian Constitutional Court, who hasn't issued their final their final ruling on it yet. But the English have said that if this ruling goes through, that if they the, the Russian court rules that it's it's lawful to take part of one republic and attach it to another and redraw the border, then they're going to open a same case. The precedent's there. They're going to open a case for Prigorodny region in the West. And this is just this will just be the start of these sorts of issues. It'll give uh, a lot more fire, a lot more field of the fire. These these issues exist all across the North Caucasus in particular. And in terms of Kadyrov, there's already signs that Kadyrov wants to do the same thing with a small part of Western Dagestan. And then the, who knows what he plans in the future? I don't think Kadyrov knows exactly. I don't think he's not so much of a strategic thinker. 
But I, I think it's, it's definitely within the realm of possibility that he would just that he will, and it fits his past pattern of behavior that he will just try to continue to expand his formal influence and to continue to seek uh, greater control over Ingushetti in particular, being that they're so close to Chechens in in so many ways, and that uh, I, I think I, it's definitely within the realm of possibility that that, that he will continue this. Is this a case where Putin may lose control of one of his most trusted lieutenants? I mean, I think to a large degree that the the, the, the amount of control that Putin has over Kadyrov is very limited. And this is something that, that people, Chechnya watchers, have been surmising for a long time. And it, it, because Ramzan does things that Kadyrov does things that Putin almost certainly does not like in terms of uh, the, the, the Boris Nemtsov murder, right right, uh, right beside Red Square three years ago, was assumed to be on, uh, was assumed to be in Kadyrov who did that. And of course, this is a deeply embarrassing thing for the Russians because of the, the location where it occurred. I mean, it's, it's in the, the, the very center of Moscow. So obviously they know who, they, the, the security forces, the Russian ones know who did it. And they have to try and explain this to people now that, and it's embarrassing to try it for them to say, Oh, like we we have so little control over our country that people can just be assassinated in the middle of the capital, and for for Kadyrov, I mean, he's got this penchant to just act as as he pleases, and it really takes a concerted effort by Putin himself and pressure from the very top to uh, to force Kadyrov to stop doing things. And so, the, one of the only instances recently where people think that this has worked is with re, with regards to the gay purges, the the story that came out. Early last year, that in, in Chechnya there, there was LGBT individuals who were being rounded up and essentially tortured, imprisoned, executed, and the it, people people think that the, because this stopped happening, it's the, the reason it stopped happening is, or at least reports stopped emerging, uh, is because the, it was such bad press for the, the Kremlin that essentially Putin and, and the Kremlin gave orders to Kadyrov to cut this out and stop it. But this is one of the interesting things about this current uh, situation is there has been almost no comment from the Kremlin at all. And so the only the, 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 the Kremlin special envoy for the North Caucasus was present and signed off on the land swap. So they, they, they have okayed it there. But the only comment that's been made on this entire issue so far by Putin was when he told the head of Ingushetia not to use force to disperse the protests about a month ago. And throughout the, the whole two months here that they have been silent on this issue otherwise. You are in Georgia, Tbilisi, Georgia. Is the view from the South Caucasus an equal one of worry about what's happening in the North Caucasus, or is there a feeling that Kadyrov is mostly focused on the lands just around him, or is this something that could spread to a wider region in the Caucasus? I mean, there's always the there, there's always this, this sort of thought in um, there, there's always a, a Tbilisi and a, a Georgia is always watching the, the North Caucasus pretty closely. Um, they have, for for a lot of reasons. Obviously, it's their neighbor, and then there was they have had huge spillover and regional effects in the past with the Chechen wars, and then a lot of close cultural links and, as well. And so in, in in Georgia, there's almost two schools of thought, I would say, in terms of um, the the North Caucasus and and stability, or rather the the possibility for for destabilization there. And some people in Tbilisi and in uh, Georgian government and the analytical community, some people think that um, the destabilization in the North Caucasus would be a good thing because this would loosen Russia's control, and then it would loosen it would lessen Russia's ability to challenge and pressure Georgia. And then some people think that this actually destabilization in the North Caucasus would be a very bad thing because that would just create wider chaos in the region. And in terms of these events, I mean they've they've been followed pretty closely. 
I don't think there's any 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 feeling that they could have an immediate effect on the um, on on Georgia, but there there's certainly a, the, the possibility that if if the the if, especially if there's an outbreak of violence in the North Caucasus or a serious a serious one, if the situation really starts to de- degenerate, which we're still quite a ways away from, but if that happens, obviously it'll have a big effect on Georgia, whether they like it or not. Situation bears viewing very closely indeed. Neil, thank you very much for joining us here on The Crisis Next Door. Appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, no problem. My pleasure. We've been joined on The Crisis Next Door with Neil Hauer, an independent security analyst on Russia and the Caucasus, speaking to us from Tbilisi, Georgia. I'm Jason Brooks. Thanks for joining us on The Crisis Next Door. Till next time. The Crisis Next Door with host Jason Brooks is produced weekly. If you have any thoughts for Jason, email him at tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. Again, that's tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 